Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Matt Leach and I'm here again with Andy Wright, Managing Director of Streamtime. Hey Andy. Good afternoon. How are you going? I'm good. We're, uh, we're here again. We are. And, um, About halfway, halfway through the first day. Halfway through the first day. The Adobe Symposium 2018. Feeling a little less posh right now because we just did a podcast in a special podcast booth and yep. we don't have one of those. Yeah, it, 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 we came down onto the floor, so there's this massive floor with lots of different stalls, and the first thing that stood out was the Accenture 2am radio booth yeah. that's glass on all sides. It reminded me of many, many years ago watching Crystal Maze and having to capture the gold tickets in the little uh, fan booth. Yeah. There weren't any gold tickets, unfortunately, just us. And uh, Tim Busing, though. Tim Busing, but strangely enough, just around the corner, there was, was one, one of those machines, which is quite random. Yes. It's almost like, I don't know, like you mention it and it appears, like Adobe's in our I minds. W- I wish that happened more often. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we saw that and then we knew that we had to get on it. And so we managed to uh, con Tim Busing into letting us go mm. on and, and record a session, which was fun. Yeah, we were on the other side of the questions. It's for a very change, weird nice. to be. I, I wasn't comfortable at all. Well, you did very well. Thank you read it from a script that you wrote <laughs> so what's going on in streamtime world because we need to thank them without the support that streamtime's given us mm-hmm. we couldn't have done half as much as we've been able to do yeah it's great i mean it's great to be able to support um adr we love adr and um the ability to now get around at these events and the country and all that kind of stuff is is great um, Streamtime is is brilliant. We uh, probably when this goes out, we'll have a new head of design at Streamtime, um, which wow. is very exciting. So we are yeah very keen on making sure that the kind of right balance of creativity and utility um, fill the product. That's got to be a pretty tough job though, designing for designers effectively. Yeah, you know the the toughest small very small uh, tangent. The toughest bit of it is um, how many designers uh ocd about the design of their invoices right and just so you know designers any people really looking at your invoices are accountants <laughs> and i know it does say a lot about your business <laughs> but so we do that like sometimes the the more kind of customer comments we get back are about um oh can we change the template for the invoicing um but yeah that's that's okay um those things are important and uh, yeah, so things are going well there. Uh, very excited to have a new head of design. And um, Never Not Creative, I think, will be launching the pledge uh, soon if it hasn't already launched. So trying to set some standards and look after people in the industry. And kind of, I think what it will become is like a little sort of social contract, um, one with yourself, but maybe also with um, clients and customers as well. So that's been really promising. And the Facebook group's going gangbusters, lots of engagement and conversation it's incredibly advice, engaged yeah, yeah. no yeah. i mean what an amazing thing to have an audience that is is so engaged mm. and so willing to share stories and and also try to change change the industry for the better yeah it's great so who have we got this episode so Matt? i'm taking over the introduction because it is jeremy lord hello jeremy hey guys how are you going jeremy i've known for a long long time how long would it be it'd be oh like to uh, 10, uh, 8 years, maybe more? I reckon it's 10. Yeah, probably. We so call it 10. Let's, let's talk a little bit about who you are. So freelance illustrator uh, for a long time, a designer, uh, creative thinker. Um, you've 
I came into contact with you because of your teaching mm-hmm. uh, and you're an amazing teacher. Yes. Uh, we, I think we first taught together at CATC yep. uh, and then Tractor Design School, Billy Blue. Mm-hmm. We've sort of been in all the same traps. So I have to get out of the foundry yeah, at one I'm point. Just following you around. Yeah. <laughs> Come to Tassie. Uh, but absolutely, uh, you know, amazing teacher and someone who always uh, struck me as like being able to keep ahead of the curve of what illustration was doing. Thank you. You see many times in colleges and unis, uh, someone who's been put out to pasture is probably a kind way of talking about it, mm-hmm. but you are always kind of pushing the students and pushing yourself. And I think that's probably where I want to start because I know we are both really big fans of deliberate practice. And one of the things that always really inspired me about how you work is you'll really find something that you're, you're not good at and, and just really keep on cracking at that until you can do it. And I know yeah. if I think about a couple of years ago, you were, you were obsessed about speed, about getting faster and faster and faster. Where, where does that interest come from? Or that, or that drive. Um, so well, thanks, thanks for the intro. Um, thanks. You must for be feeling pretty good right now. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good intro. I'm pretty good. I've maybe, I've, maybe I've been trying to work there. on my intros. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quit, quit when you're on top, right? <laughs> it's like, that's the end of the interview. I've um, been illustrating for about sort of 15 years. Studied as a graphic designer, but um, always with an inkling of you know illustration. Um, and it's, it really is this kind of ever-evolving th- skill that you have. You never just call it, oh, I'm, I'm good enough for what I need to do now. It's, there's always this need to kind of learn a new skill or get better at the skill that you're currently sort of pushing. Um, and that obviously, like most things, involves practice. And the idea of speed, I guess, is it's, for me, it's a little bit like the, th- the thumbnailing process, I suppose where quantity is is a thing i think the the amount of drawings that you can do is important but at the same time i think it's it's also really important to think about what you're doing if you're just drawing making doodles and going like oh i'm getting better like, uh well maybe not maybe you're actually getting a little bit worse because you're reinforcing all the wrong reflexes and it's something that actually kind of that concept came through for me through skateboarding because i push what's called duck footed yep another thing we have in common yeah, yeah. so duck footed for those who, who don't drinking? know is when you're um skating you should have your your front foot is the one that's on the board and the back foot's the one that you push with i do the opposite so I have and my me. foot on the tail and my foot is pushing from the front, which is weird, which is called duck footing. Ah. It means you can get a lot more speed. Yeah. Because you can, with your, I guess. your leading foot. Is, yeah, with your leading yeah. foot, you can really push. Yeah. But it means that you can't jump over a gutter quite as quick. You have to kind of set yourself up. More impressive yeah. stacks? Probably. Uh, more, more frequent <laughs> stacks, yeah. It is, again, it's just like a, a bad habit that through kind of doing it again and again was just ingrained mm. and has never gone away. Which is a weird thing for both of us being being interested in deliberate practice, but both of us have acknowledged that and then not done anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think, like, yeah, so I've, I've um, been really sort of pushing to, to get my art to where I want it to be. Um, and ironically, actually, what that's meant for me, I think, lately is maybe being a bit less of a perfectionist. Uh, I know that sometimes that's a little bit kind of wanky, like, oh, I'm a perfectionist, and like, ah, oh, we all. Um, but I'm a sucker for colors, for instance, and often the process for me is quite frustrating because I'll get like 80% of the work done pretty quickly, and then I'll spend like 
40 hours just messing around with colors in Photoshop, which is super unproductive and it's just going in circles. And at a certain point, I kind of realized that and thought it's, it's done. It's really, it's finished, move on, do another one. You're not learning anything new. Um, and that comes, I think, from this idea that I'd say probably about 80% of the learning that you do on a piece comes in the first 20% of that piece, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, 2080 um, rule. Yeah, so I think if you're, you know, if, if you do a, a drawing and you're kind of doing it for practice, I think it's important to make that distinction in between are you doing it just to learn for practice or are you doing it to make a piece that's going to go up on your website? Because the temptation, if it is that, then is to finish it, quote unquote. Um, and especially important, I guess, we, we're always telling students, you know, do your thumbnails, pen and paper, not digital. Because one of the downsides of digital is that temptation to, again, like air quotes, finish a piece. Whereas when it's pencil, it's just like, that's it. That's as far as it goes. Yeah. Do another one. That's all it needed to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think there's there's that deliberateness in your head of like, this this is just practice. I'm not doing this to make a piece and I'm going to show for people. I'm just learning. Um, and if you are just learning, you don't need to make a good looking drawing in that sense. You just need to challenge yourself, do something that you haven't done before, get better at it, and then do it again and then again and again and again. But if your sort of kryptonite is drawing hands, for instance, drawing a super photo realistically shaded hand, you've, you've already done all the learning that you need to know by the time you've done the rough sketch. Then you're just kind of punking around, making it look good which is not what that practice is about. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Can you explain um, deliberate practice a little bit more as well, just for our listeners? Yeah, so I think for me, like personally, what I kind of interpret it at is um, picking a, a topic. And so for me in my career as a freelancer, that's meant um, giving myself briefs, right? So I wanna work with like Nike SB or I wanna work with like Xbox or whatever or Sony, practice, things that you could do for them. It's kind of like do the work you want to be asked to do, give yourself those briefs that they would give you and then practice that. So there's that aspect of the deliberate practice, which is practice with a brief, I suppose, rather than just doodling while you're on the phone kind of subconsciously and thinking you're getting better at it. But I think it's also, you know, being able to identify what you'd like to get better at. And that's not necessarily always like, oh, I suck at drawing hands, so let me draw a bunch of hands until I'm good at it. Uh, I think that can also be, you know, mastering a new tool or, or including more idea-driven imagery in your work. You know, just trying to find up concepts rather than just making pretty pictures. Um, and so I think that that idea of, yeah, of deliberate practice is essentially just pick a theme and practice at that. Do it consciously. Don't just draw for the sake of drawing thinking mm -hmm. you're getting better. Do it. Be aware of what you're doing while you're doing it because then you'll really learn. As, as part of that process, how hard are you on yourself? Um, I used to be a lot harder actually on myself. And I think now I, I think there's, there's a bit of a guilt as well for like artists and illustrators, like you gotta be drawing every day. Like yeah. I used to tell my students that, like you have to draw every day, um, which meant that when I wasn't drawing every day, which I don't by the way, it's not necessarily a big secret. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I don't have to have sort of this like guilt on me. And it's like, ah, oh, other people are, are learning faster than I am. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's just about, you know, not, not being too much of a perfectionist, not being mm -hmm. too hard on yourself. And it's okay to, to just try and learn new things. And even aside from that, like, 
I, I always get comments on my work. It was like, oh, it looks good. It looks good. And it's like, no, it's not good enough. Like my girlfriend will come in and be like, yeah, it looks fine. And it's like, mm, uh, no, I'm not happy. Mm. I'm not happy. Uh, and that's probably healthy, but only in sort of moderation, I think. Um, where if you are a little bit too hard on yourself, then you're never going to get any work done because you're never going to be happy with the work that you're yeah. doing. And that's super counterproductive. Mm-hmm. A lot of your uh, sketches do seem, I could say random or observational in that like it could be anything that you've suddenly decided to sketch what what is it that drives so i'm literally looking at dead fish uh next to a dropped ice cream uh (laughs) next to i think a woman is maybe falling through the air and a deer a stag tree don't don't forget the santa claus and the santa claus smoking a pipe (laughs) let's not forget that one i'm not sure santa claus uh, I think no, it's, it's not. Oh, it's you might be looking sailor. at the, the oh, right. yeah, hipster, hipster sailor. sailor. Because yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was going to say uh, Santa Claus probably not observational. Uh, <laughs> wow, maybe. <laughs> you don't know Jeez, what goes on in my on, head, mate, You know, <laughs> you don't know what I see. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. What, 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 so how's uh, that I think again, like uh, this comes back to like we were talking about teaching before, and this idea. And it's one of the things that one of the things that I like most about teaching is having to put concepts and ideas and sort of feelings in words to be able to teach them makes you put them in words for yourself the stuff that's inherent for you that you just kind of do subconsciously never really thinking about it all of a sudden we have to explain it to somebody else you just have this moment you're like yeah actually that's true i never thought about that for my and then you that becomes a reality now for yourself um and so for me it's the idea of what a sketchbook should be and um I think there's this kind of myth. I was just showing somebody my sketchbook today. And, and to be honest, I don't necessarily, you know, I don't practice what I preach or what I'm about to say here. I don't necessarily do. But somebody was looking through my sketchbook and like I was happy to show it because I'm happy with all the work that's in it. Because in a sense, I've, I've, I've gone and actually made them sort of finished pieces. And so when somebody flipped through my sketchbook, it's this idea that, you know, there's, there's something really nice on every page, or at least I'd like to think so. And then that's impressive where it, that's not at all what a sketchbook should be mm-hmm. about. It really, literally is just a brain dump. And actually, it should just be filled with crap on every page because it's where you go to make your mistakes, um, not where you go to impress people. And so for me, those, those pages are literally just like... I just feel like drawing something. Or sometimes I'll start like a Mr. Doodle kind of thing and I'll just yeah. do something and like the dead fish was that. I just started That's with funny. an eye and then just you know, like, the fish grew around the eye kind of stuff. And then, and I, then I, was I, decapitated. I was listening to like <laughs> anthrax or something and so I killed it. Um, but yeah, no, it's that that literally is like that, that brain dump. And it, it's interesting actually because I get a lot of people asking me, why do you feature that on your website? Why is your sketchbook up there? Um, and I... I'm a big fan of like obviously showing your work and seeing how people do their work. And so the, the, the work page of my website, which is where I show like mm-hmm. all the finished color pieces and everything else that I do, that's the, that's the sort of the movie, but the sketch page is the, the making of, mm-hmm. the documentary behind the scenes with the handheld shaky camera and all that. That's the stuff that I find super interesting looking at that. It's mm-hmm. like, how do you think? Um, and what goes through your head. And it's not necessarily super coherent with what I show to the world from my work. Do you, so you obviously have done a lot of teaching. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of suggesting to people that they don't just show their portfolios, but they actually show how they got to the end result. Yep. Because in reality, what I see every single day when working with you is the stuff that's not the end result. 
Mm. And so I've got to be kind of comfortable with with that and know and kind of understand like how you think. Do you suggest that to students? Absolutely. I think that's probably one of the the first thing that I would say to students kind of prepping for a portfolio. I always use the analogy like when you're in school, like in high school and you sit like a math exam, they always ask you to show your work, right? Mm. Um, It's never just like, here's the answer, 17.5. It's like, show me how you got there. Because that's more important. And, and I think in a lot of cases, I'd like to think that like if the process was right, you just forgot to carry the one or something and so got the wrong answer, you still get partial credit. Mm. And so I think it should be the same with creative work. Like the, how you got to where you got that idea, um, I think is super important. And I, I found that out the hard way actually in my first year of college. So I went to this kind of like super classically trained French school in Paris um, I'm half French and you know the kind of place where you picture the teachers like this is not art get out of my classroom um, <laughs> see he's about to do that <laughs> and so yeah I, I, I made this piece we had a brief and it was all like it, this is this basic design brief to do like a poster for the college or whatever um, and I thought I did something really good which I, I still think today I look on it and I was like yeah that was cool um, but I had no idea what I was doing I had no idea behind it. I, mm. I, just, I just kind of clutched at it from thin air. And I got really pissed off when my teacher said exactly that. Like, this is shit, get out. And I was like, no, it's good. It's really good. And like, I didn't understand that what he was actually saying was like, yeah, you made a good piece, but you made it completely by accident. Yeah, you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's not called being good. That's called being lucky. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, in that sense, like showing your work uh, as a teacher for me to be able to see my students work and how they got to where they got to, they were able to identify like that's a bad idea. This needs to change. That needs to go. That needs to add more of this. I think that's where you can assess mm. a, a student on their learning, which think, is what it's all about. I think the mathematics analogy is really good as well, because you, when you see the work, you can take them back to a point and go, this is where I think you went wrong. Yep. And this is why. Yeah. Uh, if, and, but if you're looking at the final one and this goes for clients as well it's very hard for them to kind of, it, it's a finished piece. I, I either like it or I don't like it. Well, it's also yeah. a big part of commercializing your work, right? Like, because ultimately, and you know, unless you're working for the final level boss, you are giving someone a story to be able to tell that story to somebody else, mm. right? And so how you bring your work to life and then how you got there is as exciting sometimes for the people buying the work um, as it is in seeing the the finished product, and then it's much easier for them to sell on to you know people they have to report into, or even like customers. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I feel like they 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 feel like they're a part of it as well. Yeah, actually, it, it, it's interesting little kind of story. We we're talking about Tim Busing before. He's the guy who gave me my first brief when I arrived in Sydney from Paris when oh, I right. was back at Holler, and the brief was to just, just kind of do this um, this animal usual suspects lineup just with all these animals. Um, and that was going to go up in their studio. And I, I started, it was awesome, yeah, great brief. Still to this day, it's one of my favorite briefs I've ever worked on. Um, and I did all these sketches, all these researches, like I did it, like an emu and a crocodile and like all this kind of stuff. And I drew them, like I did a whole bunch of sketches, drew them quite realistically. And I was showing Tim this. We were sitting around like having a beer. And he was like, oh, do you always do this for all this? And he was amazed. Like he just loved the idea that, I did all these sketches kind of for him and like seeing the work behind it. And I, I get that with a lot of clients actually, like for them seeing the sketches and like the work that goes into it and the making of 
is almost more fun than getting the final piece. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm a part of this process. You're making this for me, it's special. It wasn't just conjured out of thin air as well, which mm -hmm. can be this, I think design and illustration can be this sometimes seen as this like arcane thing that you just kind of like, just yeah. appeared. And it's like, no, no, here, like here's the steps yeah. you can follow what I did. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. Mm. It's, it's that nice thing of like giving away the steps because it still takes someone uh, it's a lot of hard work just to follow the steps so it, a lot of people get worried about kind of giving giving the game away mm. showing behind the curtain it's something you've really embraced and i've noticed on your instagram especially over the the last year maybe year and a half that you're really showing your process like your instagram stories are actually showing you working on something that sometimes works sometimes doesn't work um, but just where where did that come from you know to build into your public persona i guess yeah, so obviously there's a whole like branding side to Instagram where you like you take on this this role or this kind of thing that people see you as like you do this kind of stuff and this is who you are. This is your attitude. This is mm. your tone of voice, essentially your brand. Um, but I think there's also, uh, and this is interesting actually, we were talking about this earlier with the, the difference in between Instagram and a website, particularly as it kind of touches for um, image makers like photographers, artists, illustrators, um, and, and graphic designers as well, but probably to a lesser extent than with illustrators. I think illustrators really have taken over Instagram. What that means for me is I'm, I'm actually getting a lot more work through Instagram than I am through my website, which like if you had said this to me like even four years ago, I'd have been like, you're crazy, no way. It, website is still like the most important thing you could ever have. And I think like I would never tell my students you don't need to bother with a website because I think it's still... A, an important part of building a career but much more to the point if you're going to be an illustrator I think Instagram is the go because it's interactive mm. it, it shows the person behind the work a lot more than kind of a cold sterile page does on a website and so doing the videos um, is is a way obviously of showing my process uh, but it's also a way of I guess like humanizing the work mm -hmm. where even I think the the simple fact that you can see somebody's hand in there holding a pen to paper it, it becomes more than just about the process like it reminds you that like yeah there's a human being behind this i can see you know a, a part of at least but there's an artist behind this there's a human being behind this um which you don't get when it's just a, a you know a bunch of pixels on a screen that are just sitting there doing nothing mm. uh, and so for me that was that kind of twofold thing of like showing my process yeah um, making a, a kind of a fun video as well, putting pressure on myself as well, because it's like, if it's a video, it's like, oh, sure, I better <laughs> make sure it's kind of like seamless from A to B, which is actually a little bit weird. We were, I was talking about this with um, Laurie Goodridge, who we used to teach with as well. And he was saying that he sat through this 40 hour video of somebody going through one of their digital paintings in real time. Wow. And wow. I just thought, like, wow, that, that would be so boring. But that at the sounds same something time, like Laurie would do. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so you see a lot of these time lapses on, on YouTube and obviously they've been sped up. But a lot of them I've discovered because I've, I've been doing this myself and kind of looking at the process of how others do it, that a lot of those have been a little bit rehearsed beforehand. Right. So they already know what they're going to do before they do it, which in a sense, I think kind of almost defeats the purpose of showing your process because then it's not really a process. Yet all the mistakes have been cut out of this. Yeah. It's a 
purely clean kind of from A to Z in a straight line when that's not at all how it works. Mm. Um, And so doing those videos, I think is- That's social media though, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's just only the good parts. But like, it's a shame, isn't it? Because you're right. The thing that would be really interesting would be the raw process. Yeah. Like uh, for the people we used to film sessions we would have internally that were like, you'd have crap ideas, you'd have arguments and you'd share that with the client because- it would give them an insight into what you were thinking about, whether you were thinking about it in the right way, um, what you were discarding um, as part of that work as well, because that's the sort of thing that a client goes, oh, well, I don't think you've thought about this. And it's like, well, I have, but I've discarded it, it's gone. Mm. Um, But then actually over time, and as also as new people joined the business, these videos turn into <laughs> training yeah you know, yeah it's like it's almost like oh yeah okay so then we've got all that and i'll just quickly show you this okay right should we do the video now and and it, it becomes less real where it's actually yeah. the really I, I always found the really great like the gold was in the the videos when like damien and i would argue about whether what we were doing was the right thing at all mm. and then mm-hmm. just send it over to the client um it turns out they loved it you know that's yeah. great yeah. Yeah. So I think so. There's a big part of that too. I think is like that that time lapse that you see on YouTube that so many artists have done and done really well, and yeah. it's, it's super interesting to see the piece like you know sped up come to life. Mm. It's I think it's a bit unrealistic to for a student, for instance, yeah. to think like, oh, this is how all artists work. It's like no. Yeah. There's like there's 40 hours that have been cut out of that video of like try this, it didn't work. Back to square yeah. one. Um, so yeah. So doing those videos for me is is a bit of a like it's. It's not live, but it's as close as I can make it to live. It mistakes and all. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and it, it's just a, a fun bit of content as well. It's more than just a, a, a static piece on a, on a page. I'm interested in this idea that the website's become less important. I mean, obviously, keeping up your social media presence, is, there's a lot more effort involved in that. Like the website, you can put it all up there and then wait for the clients to roll in. Uh, Instagram, you know, you have to be hitting certain number of times a day and you know being consistent with your posts and just on that like do the is it because actually the client you're easier to find on instagram versus like the web is the web um, versus instagram being you're getting social endorsement so yeah that's that's and algorithms help you i I think as well i think that that's it like you've hit the nail on the head with that it's it's for me a website is completely it's very passive Mm. whereas an instagram page is very active in that i've learned that i've got actually pretty good seo um, on mine because a lot of the briefs that i get through every time i get a client i was like where did how did you find me and often they'll just google you know like looking up the god of illustration jeremy lord see what i did there (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah no they'll they'll google like illustrator sydney and for some reason my pages like in the first some of the first um results it's like yeah fantastic that's great um but it's still something that needs to happen where that person needs to actively go into their browser, open it up, which means that, you know, like that's, that's a lot of effort there in today's standards mm-hmm. and then type in a URL or have found it through another website and click on it. It's, it's, it's a very sort of active search thing that they need to do in order to find your work. Um, whereas Instagram, if you're following me, then my work will just, constantly be kind of drip fed into your feed if you check it every day or whatnot but that's a passive thing my work can be under your eyes without you really doing very much Mm. um, or searching for it or anything so there's there's that kind of level of passive but it's also i think um, coming back to the idea of kind of showing your process and like humanizing the work for me a website is just kind of like here's my work 
it's a very one-way kind of communication tool. Whereas Instagram is like, here's my work. Tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. Pop yeah. a comment on there and I'll respond to your comment. We'll start a conversation and you can DM me and, you know, you can drop a like on it. Whereas like, I mean, I've got on my website, there's a like Facebook like functionality and a like counter. Mm-hmm. It's Nothing. all yeah. pretty much all of them are at zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I'd like to think that it's, it's not your, because your they all suck. Not good, yeah. uh, <laughs> but is it, is it uh, like, it's interesting that um, like essentially Behance and the loop and like we're meant to be this right yes. yeah yeah um, totally but then suddenly the thing that actually makes all the difference and gets the engagement is instagram yeah um is it why do you think they didn't quite hit the notes that instagram has for well, you well i think first of all it's mobile and mobile is always going to trump desktop 100 percent um but secondly i don't know like I, why, why did facebook take over myspace or friendster or high five or any of the things that came before it like who knows why that one was the thing that people adopted. But I do think that the, the and it's interesting actually, because there's a lot of people talking about all the new features of Instagram, like the stories and the channels and the archives. And it's just like, they keep just adding stuff. I saw a meme actually recently where it's just like this super pared back, like bared back fixie, nothing on it. And there's just a, like Instagram 2010. And then it's <laughs> another one. It's just like this like Thai moped that's just loaded with shit. And it just says Instagram 2018. Um, but the original intent of Instagram was like pop something, like take a photo of something and put it online, no filters, no nothing. Um, and, and so they've kind of driven away from that a little bit, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for me as an illustrator. Um, because again, yeah, it's like now you're communicating with me as well. And, and I guess we're talking about like brands and experience a lot in, in this conference and the Jeremy Lord brand is now an experience. Like you get to have a chat with me and like know who I am as a person as yeah. well as just kind of see my work on a screen. Is it, is it also nice, I, I'm just thinking like again why it works, like it's the instant feedback, right? You don't yeah. get anything when someone visits your website or looks at a picture yeah. on it. You do get something when someone likes it and it's like suddenly you can react instantly and it's, the connection is so much closer than, than yeah. the, the website's just the portfolio, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And, it's, and that's what I said. It's like a very passive kind yeah. of thing. Um, and people, I, I do find that people like will go to my Instagram and then commu- and then, then they'll go and check out the full body of work on, um, on my website. The full Jeremy. Yeah. yeah. Um, thankfully, my name's not Monty. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, and it's interesting. Like I think, it, again, the, the type of stuff that you would post on Instagram is, you know, like, details and sketches and more of the process and you can you know because you can do like a multiple image post Mm. you can kind of show that which on a website doesn't quite work the same way it's a lot more kind of you got to do the work and to see all my stuff um and it's interesting actually we were talking about this the the idea of a website um with um jeremy wartsman from jackie winter and he was saying that a lot of the things that he's noticing is that when you've got that kind of web, like my website is based on just like this like never-ending gallery kind of thing with all these tiles. And he was saying that a lot of his artists have the same kind of format for their work. And it seems like from what the analytics behind it are saying that clients aren't actually clicking on any of the thumbnails. They just look at the entire page and see your work there and that's it. And unless somebody really catches their eye, they'll click on it and see the work inside of that. But otherwise that feed of work is, which is what Instagram is kind of doing. 
on your website is that's a, that's all they need to get like cool mm. this is who you are which i find super interesting because it's like this is the impact of instagram on a website like we're using right. websites like we would instagram yeah. now it's like let me look at your feed yep cool i got you yeah good yeah it's knowing that about instagram then knowing that clients are looking at it for justification that you can do the job i guess have you felt the need to i guess target your clients through Instagram and I guess I guess I'm asking about organic versus paid reach and yeah yeah so uh, I think one of the the really awesome things with with Instagram and I don't want to be like an Instagram salesman I'm not sponsored or anything I should be just wearing the t-shirt a complete Instagram <laughs> gradient from head to toe um, it's it's the ability to tag somebody and like I'm I've done that quite a few times and it's it's gotten me that person's attention I've done that with like with um, Vision Streetwear, for instance, like really obscure kind of skate brand that not many people would know about. Just Still did a piece and like put their logo on it and tagged them and they dropped a like and a comment on it. And I was like, mm. this is rad. Like that would never happen with mm. a website, mm. right? Um, and it didn't lead to any professional work, but it just as easily could have. And so for me, yeah, it's this idea of like, we were talking about deliberate practice and mm. like, you know, give yourself a brief and do that. I'm all about that and I'm, I'm, as you could probably see from my work, if you, if you go to my website, I'm a big fan, fan of cyberpunk and neon. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite game developers, I'm also a bit of a gamer, is CD Projekt Red. And they're coming out, hopefully before we're all dust and bones, a game called Cyberpunk 2077. And I'm in the process of doing a whole heap of illustrations for them, for, yeah. for that. And then I will post them on Instagram and tag them in it. And obviously I'll also send it to them by email, mm. but it's this idea of like, yeah, I can get this specific person's attention through my Instagram that wow. in a way that I could never get through my website because it would just have to be like, I have to send you an email. Whereas now I can tag you and, and the community manager there would, would probably look at it more actively than they would, you know, go on Google and look for illustrators that might be appropriate for their work. And so that, yeah, that's been, that's been a real game changer for me as well is this idea that like, cool, I can now maybe more easily get the attention of the people whose attention I want to get. We were talking earlier about the, this kind of transition of being a freelancer, going in, working on, you know, briefs for other agencies that come from other clients and having to kind of, you know, work on styles that work for them versus like enjoying your own style and kind of exploring your own you know influences um, and getting paid for it and you, you mentioned how like you're potentially in this kind of transition at the moment of being able to get to do much more of that yeah um, how's, how's that going so uh, that's it's it's been in the last sort of couple of years so it's relatively recent in that sense but yeah I think what we we're talking about is this idea that um, when when a, a sort of as a commercial illustrator you're cold calling you're trying to get all these jobs and so you go in and you sort of pitch yourself as i'm an illustrator um, and a lot of times actually what will happen is that client will look at you as exactly what you said an illustrator uh, and the problem with that is that in sort of sports equivalents that's like looking at somebody like usain bolt and ian thorpe they're both athletes so we need an athlete and so here we are, we're going to brief Usain Bolt on like a, you know, can you swim this, this race for us? It's like, yeah, but I'm this kind of athlete. We're both athletes, me and Ian Thorpe, but he's that kind, I'm this kind. And so uh, of, often what you would get is a brief where it's like, can you do this? And it has nothing to do with the content that's on your website. 
Whereas with Instagram, what's happening now is I'm getting a lot of DM commissions. And in some cases, they're going as far as actually writing a brief to fit the work that I do yeah. rather than me having to fit the work that I do to the brief that they have. Um, and that's the, that's the dream, right? That's the end game where it's like we're now making, we're going to make a T-shirt specifically so that we can put your artwork on it. And the brief is do whatever the hell you want because we like your work and that's why we came to you for. So whatever you do, we're going to be happy with as long as it's what you do. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's really like the, the dream for an illustrator. Um, it, it can also be fun. You know, I don't want to bag out saying, you know, like oh, all the, the briefs that you get for agencies and the like, they're really bad because they can also open your eyes to new things. Like you think you might hate this, but actually you really mm. enjoyed working on it. Um, but again, yeah, for me, it's been that transition of like do the work you want to be asked to do and show your clients that kind of stuff. Um, and then hopefully they will brief you for that. So I just want to um, jump in here when you talked about Usain Bolt, uh, no longer an athlete. Footballer. Footballer. Yeah. <laughs> so That's true. Yeah. killed your whole argument, I'm afraid. <laughs> Although, has he actually signed anywhere yet? I'm not uh, sure yes. he has. He's had trials at different places. So he's, got, he's currently got an indefinite training period at the uh, Central Coast Mariners. Yeah, it's all PR. Wow. It's all PR. Let's come on. Sorry for being the cynic, but he's been <laughs> everywhere. He's been on trial everywhere. It's great PR for that local team. Um, but I still haven't seen much of, uh, action of him playing. Um, the the. Can you remember the first thing you drew? What do you mean, like ever? It's hmm. a good, uh, good question. Probably a Dragon Ball Z character. Wow. So that yeah. an anime thing has been yeah. So been a constant. A um, yeah. yeah. Growing up in, obviously growing up in France, um, France and Japan had a huge cultural exchange in the 80s and 90s where we got a lot of manga series that the rest of the world wasn't necessarily privy to. Um, and so I grew up with a whole heap of manga series. I couldn't tell you their names in English because I got them all in French. But yeah, so that was a huge impact on me. And um, getting into Dragon Balls actually is what made me want to start drawing. So for a while, all I was so, drawing... It's so boring. <laughs> All, all I was drawing was like big buff dudes with spiky hair. Um, but in a sense, it like it taught me anatomy, it taught me proportions, all that kind of stuff. But really? Because they, they are completely buff and yeah, in all the wrong the, places. The, the way he draws like hands yeah. and like the, the, the gestures and the movements are, are still really there. But they're completely like their faces are weird mm. and completely disproportionate. But And I'm, I'm, I'm being cheeky there because the, I'm assuming you're talking about the original Dragon Ball Z, yeah. which was very slow moving. And so yeah. I often, I would watch it while I was doing other things because it was just... Yeah, it's like the cricket. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what Dragon Ball Z was going for when, yeah. they, when they start. So we want something like the cricket. <laughs> A bit like the cricket. Yeah, so no, so that, that would probably be one of the first things that I'd ever drawn. Yeah. So, and then that, um, I mean, obviously you've made a choice at some point because you you know, you talk about the cyberpunk, you talk about the, the anime kind of influences and looking at your work... It's all very, um, it's very, very obvious there. But you never went into anime. You never went into actually. No. Um, so uh, never say never. Yep. Um, first of all. But I think my background is I actually went to um, a design school in Paris, graduated with a master's in graphic design, um, went to work for various branding agencies. And even as an illustrator, a lot of my work up until like, yeah, maybe two or three years ago was, you know, with the likes of Interbrand, Landor, all that kind of stuff, um, which was great. But 
the nature of a branding brief is that every brief is different. We need a different style, different applications of illustration. So I was very kind of schizophrenic with my style um, because that's what my yeah. clients kind of demanded. Which, which, which I think a lot of agents were probably pushing as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think what, while that gets you very frequent work, that's not necessarily long-term something that you can really build a career around because no matter what you get briefed on, there's always going to be somebody who's better at it than you, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you can do a bit of illustrator type, then you're still going to get shot on by somebody like Gemma O'Brien who's yep. just going to kill you. If we can't get that. Gemma, let's get Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But if, if, we want, if you want the big fish kind of clients who are willing to put that kind yep. of money into it, they're always going to go with the specialist in that yep. discipline. So you're going to be kind of jack of all trades, but specialist in none, which is not really kind of a, a very viable long-term thing. And so for me, that was that kind of decision a few years ago of like, you know what? Um, my influences are skate, manga, and I, I've always been really sort of keen on, on color and kind of neon in the 80s and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to mash those all together in a blender and see what comes out. Mm. And, and this is the work that you're seeing now from me is, is what's coming out. And uh, I'm not saying that this is what I'm always going to do, but at the moment, it's it was initially a conscious decision of like I'm going to stop doing all this stuff mm -hmm. and I'm only going to do this. Because I I feel like I've seen that heavily. Like it's probably the last two years, the amount of your work has just increased massively. Um, and and again, I feel like I'm only seeing a small amount, uh, and there's obviously much more that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. So was that? that that was a conscious decision that you were just going to go bang. I'm, this is what I'm doing yeah. now. Yeah, because I've, I've I've always thought like looking at people who who do. I don't want to sound really negative here, but who often kind of do the same thing over and over. Like you see that piece and immediately you're like yeah, that's that that's that person, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is great. But I've always thought like I could never do that. I would just get bored. Like, wouldn't you want to try and like try orange for a change just once? You know, <laughs> see how you like it. Um, but I think the, the problem with that is that for me it was actually really weird because every time I'd start a new piece, personal or professional, who am I today? What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. what's, what's the thing? Whereas giving myself a, a, a sort of a guide rail to do my work on, it's, it's neon, it's 80s, it's Japanese, it's anime influenced. That gives me already a pretty solid brief to do whatever I want to do. And it's something that I need to stick to, right? Regardless of sometimes I don't feel like doing that. And that's what my sketchbook's for. So that's where you see all the other stuff that's not that, that I still put in my sketchbook, but I wouldn't put on Instagram because it's not building like my brand, if you will. Um, so yeah, so that, that is a conscious decision and that needs to be made. Um, but it's quite liberating to, to have that, to have that brief. It's, it's, it's like, you know, when we give the students an open brief, it's like, do whatever you want. Yeah. And they do what? nothing. And <laughs> Tumbleweeds. Like, yeah. So <laughs> having that kind of like, this is what you need to do. It needs to be black and white or it yeah. needs to feature this. It's like, it's actually, at first they'll kick and scream, yeah. but then it's actually like, cool. That makes Con my life a lot really easier. Yeah. I, I got asked the other day, I was given a complete open brief and I just had a meltdown in my head. I was mm. like, I don't know. It's just that, you know, give me some constraints, tell me how, I, how much I can spend or anything. Yeah. At least give me something to kind of use as, a, as an anchor and then, then I can tell you. But yeah, then I can build something on that. Yeah. yeah. So coming back to, um, I guess I'm interested in how much you're drawing because the amount of work seems to really have increased. How much are you drawing each day? And I, I guess I'm interested in your process because your process since I've known you has dramatically changed from you know, being a pencil and paper sort of guy to now being a digital artist. Yeah. 
So uh, it's, it's an interesting question, actually, because it's there's there's a lot of guilt involved, oh, really? um, and then there's a lot of guilt that's been let go of. Um, so like we're about to get to the crying uh, no. moment. <laughs> let's get the tissues out quick. <laughs> let me get the whip out. It's gonna start lacerating my back. Um, Is that the hairy, hairy shirt you're wearing? <laughs> it's um, yeah. So I've I've actually in the process of potentially getting an iPad. And I've like resisted for the longest time. Just wrap this up. I can't believe this. This is because you you always (laughs) were like very dismissive of iPads. Well, uh, for most (laughs) like they're good products, and like the 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 way like Procreate's awesome program, Mm -hmm. and like it works really really well. And a lot of artists have adopted it and are doing some really amazing stuff with it. Um, But for me, it was always that like because my process has always been very digital. It's my sketchbook is my last anchor to the non-digital world mm-hmm. uh, and digital is fantastic and it's it's amazing and all the possibilities are uh, kind of endless but at the same time the, one of the biggest things that I regret with digital is that there's no original there's no like this is the thing that you made like if if your computer is gone then you 25 years of your work is gone with it mm-hmm. like you've got nothing to show for it um which yeah, you could say the same thing about a sketchbook if your studio burns and it's all gone too. But yeah. there's something nice about having like a drawing that is tangible and is real, whereas a print kind of loses that a little bit. But also because I'm classically trained, I've always been kind of like, no, 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 no I need to you know, keep up the tools. And, and I, I think that's still important. I think I've just kind of dropped that guilt a little bit. And that's allowed me to go like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get an iPad. Um, mostly because, and the reason I didn't was because, you know, now this will become my digital sketchbook. And so the only thing that I was ever doing analog work in is my sketchbook. And now even that's going to go. And it was a bit of a kind of shed a tear moment, but at the same time, it's okay, fine. This is who I am now. I'm going to own it. And that's cool. And so the, the digital side of things is like, yep, all right, this, this is what I'm doing. And maybe kind of relinquish that guilt of like, no, you need to keep, you know, hands Mm. on. It's nice to kind of you know, get on the train and have like pencil on your face and you're like, oh, that guy must be an artist. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay, cool. It's, this is who I am now, it's digital. And it, and it kind of also fits with the theme of my work as well, which is super digital and kind of electronic, mm-hmm. which I can't get those kind of neon things and super bright poppy colors is something that's a little bit harder to get when you're doing analog work. And I remember when you first started going to digital and you were using a Wacom tablet, and then you um, made the move to a Cintiq at some point. And I remember you being really excited about that because it yeah. felt more like drawing again, as opposed to drawing off to the side and watching the screen. Yeah, uh, You are now drawing on the screen. And I guess the iPad is a similar move. It's yeah, the, the move. iPad is exactly the same thing. You're, mm. you're looking at what you're drawing. And, and, and that's true, actually. I, I still remember that feeling of like all this muscle memory came back to me from days and years of like drawing on a piece of paper hunched over it and and looking at what you're doing in that sense whereas a a, a traditional Wacom before Cintiq kicked in was like yeah your your hands over kind of out of your sight and you're looking at the screen it's you feel this real disconnect and a lot of students the first time they sort of get a Wacom it's kind of funny to to watch their faces because they're just like "Mm," it's like learning how to walk again yeah um and so yeah so that 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 was interesting for me to kind of notice is that that you know, all of a sudden my body was like, ah, this again, mm. like, this is how you behave now. Um, and all these things that I hadn't done in years came back and I was like, oh yeah, this feels great. This feels so much more natural. 
And I was actually testing today that they have a Wacom booth here um, and they've got the little sketch pad with a pen. And as you're drawing, it's like it's pen and ink, but it vectorizes what you're doing and oh, it wow. keeps track of the process. Um, and so they've got uh, an artist here, Bill Hope, who's doing these pieces and you do a drawing and it like it drop boxes it to him and he puts it in the piece that he's doing, which is kind of cool. Um, but I was I was really blown away by this. And it kind of made me really think, and he was like, Simon was telling me about like, oh, we've got another one where you can actually do layers as well. So the piece of paper is like this notepad that acts as layers in Photoshop. And it it was really interesting to me as we were talking about the kind of like where digital is going. Mm -hmm. And I think like with things like Cintiq and like you can put on the iPad Pro, there's a whole like range of different um, businesses that have cropped up around putting gel and like screens on on the actual screen to make it feel more like paper. Oh, really? Yeah. And it, 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 like every artist swears by this stuff. It's like, oh, it's so much better than the glass because the glass is super smooth. It kind of slides around a little bit. So you yeah. want that resistance from the lead and the paper. So it's all about kind of emulating the real world, which is a little bit sort of contradictory. Like it's this thing of like if you're doing everything you can in digital to make it look like it's not digital, then just don't do it digital, right? Like mm. it's like it tastes <laughs> like beer, it looks like beer, it smells like beer, it'll get you drunk like beer, but it ain't beer. It's like, well, what's the point? Yeah. So that's that. But I, well, what I thought was super interesting was this idea that like now digital has impacted the real world with its way of working yeah. of like, we're now going to work in the real world as if it was digital mm. rather than work in digital as if it was the real world. And so now we're using pieces of paper to layer them up as if they were layers in Photoshop, mm. which has kind of come full circle because obviously the ideas of, of layers in Photoshop was you know like putting your stacks on tracing paper and letter set letters and all that kind of stuff. At least in my mind, I think that's where it's going. It's mm. kind of people now behave in the real world as if it was the digital world, mm. which you see with like social media and all that yeah. kind of stuff as well. But um, yeah, unless there's some like huge massive breakthrough, which Tilt Brush and AR and VR and all that stuff is, is doing. Mm. Um, but at this stage, I've, I still feel like they're, they're kind of fledgling. Nobody's kind of developed the technology yet to support that. It, it's kind of like the um, Xbox and PlayStation have both have that motion sensor thing, the VR yeah, stuff. Connect, but so yeah, yeah. yeah, Connect. And it was like for what the technology behind it was mm. amazing. But no game developers were doing anything yeah. to really support that. Mm. And so it kind of fizzled out a little bit. So I think that's where it's at. Like, unless somebody really develops something that supports a kind of revolution in it i think digital is just slowly going to creep into the real world mm. to the point where maybe the distinction will be harder to make it's like is it a digital piece or is it an analog piece like this new Raycom thing where it's I, like it's still an ink drawing but it's also a vector at the same time it's and then i wonder how long it takes before it doesn't matter anymore because it because it does matter at the moment because i think clients expect to pay less for a digital piece yeah um but yeah i wonder yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. you think about all the hardware you need and the skill you yeah. need, um, and but you expect to pay less for that. Mm. Well, and I think that comes down to what I was talking about before, where it's like it's it's also with an analog piece. There's the original. Yeah. Like you pay a lot yeah. more for the original than you would for a print. Yeah. Because it's it's the one, mm. and and now you you own that image and its rights and everything else. But also, there's also just that human kind of emotion side of things. I wonder if that's going to come back. I wonder if there is this kind of, this is the original because marked on it is created, saved. Mm. Origi- like you could do ah, that, you know, right. like here yeah. is the original and it would be the, 
the thing that's worth the most and everything else is a duplicate off of the original. Yeah, um, it could be, yeah. But there's no loss in quality, is there? I mean, I think the reason why analog... No, the original is just... It's because you got... What the, it, it's like anything that gets you just because you got the one that said zero zero one. Yeah, you know? but is like, it not is yeah. it not something to do Sneakers. with quality? Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's totally. Yeah, or like first lining up line. for three days outside to be the yeah, first person yeah. to get the iPhones. Like you're getting the same thing as everybody yeah, else. Yeah. You're just the first person. You've just yeah. given Jeremy yeah. a whole new idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's been a little bit of uh, brand name dropping um, as we've gone through this. That was my and fault. Sorry. No, well, we're not the BBC. Um, but the, the, and if any of those people want to sponsor the show, like, come on, let's go for it. Right? Um, just you have to be in line behind stream time. But the, um, but you're, you are involved in kind of influencer programs now, and like, how? What was it like getting the you know the tap on the shoulder the first time? Because I'm sure there's a bunch of I mean, there's a bunch of illustrators that. Um, listen to the show um, and students and it's like how do you get it and what's it like when that first tap on the shoulder comes along so it's it's pretty awesome um, for me it's always it's like you always hear these stories of like people who got lucky and all that kind of stuff which is like this is one of those stories for me it all actually all started with Adobe and a shout out to Denise Chippendale who we used to work with who's now in GA in London who connected me with Adobe and I started doing some work with Adobe and then Adobe connected me with Microsoft and through actually through Microsoft is interesting because we were talking about like doing the work you want to be asked to do. Um, Microsoft were kind enough to lend me their Surface Studio, which is their big like 28 inch Cintiq kind of challenger, which is amazing. And so they just lent me this and said like, hey, would you like to try this out? And I was like, no, nah, not really. I'm, yeah. Are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> and so I did. I, I had this piece and I was trying it out and I thought, you know what? Why don't I do a piece that maybe Microsoft could use and, and Microsoft Xbox could use. And so I did an illustration surrounding kind of Xbox with like Halo and Forza and all this kind of stuff and Gears of War. And because I was now in contact with the right people at Microsoft, I flicked it over to them and said, look, hey, I made this, it's finished. Um, do you guys want to use it? And they're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a marketer's dream, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And so, and they, you know, they ended up using me and they like, they paid me for it. And it, so it became a brief that like I pushed onto them. Yeah. And again, none of that would have happened if I hadn't gone like, oh, I'll, I'll do this piece because this is the piece that I would like for them to ask me to do. So I'm just going to do it and then see if they want it. Mm. And, and to their credit, they like, yeah, said, yeah, yeah, totally. And used it. And then they invited me to their Christmas party and went out to all the media. And that was a whole kind of new can of worms with IGN and Kotaku and all those dudes. Yeah. But yeah, so I think it's it's um, there's there's a there's a, a lot of luck, but there's also like you got to be in that position so that when you get that opportunity, you're in a position to like fulfill it, I guess, yeah. or you like drive it luck. to where yeah, yeah, in a sense. But you, it is it is nice when you get that kind of thing. It's like yeah, cool, yeah, we want to work with you. It's like fantastic, yeah. awesome, I'm down. Yeah. yeah, cool, that's really good. So that brings us to time. So where can people find out about you and not the Sydney light artist? <laughs> I've called the same name. What is a light artist? Someone who puts lights up and look at that. With colours. <laughs> it's colours. Yeah, I think. Beautiful. Isn't that what I do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just put colours up on a screen. <laughs> so I've got my, um, I was going to say I've got my website. That's an old habit. Yeah, no, we just um, we, yeah, we got rid of that. we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, I've got my Instagram. So my Instagram is at jeremylord underscore. Um, so you can find my most of my work there. And that's probably the thing that I update the most. 
Um, and obviously my website, jeremylord.com and Behance and most of the others. But yeah, generally speaking, like if you're following me on Instagram, then you'll you'll get the full you get everything you, you get the got full picture. jeremylord.com but you didn't get at jeremy lord so does the other jeremy lord have at jeremy lord i don't think so i yeah. think it's some like weird baseball coach in idaho or something or whatever i like, should have used him that's much <laughs> more interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah andy where can people find out about you um at ad righty on uh most of the socials at never not creative so at mvr not creative and at Streamtime. Fantastic. And you can find this episode and more at ausdesignradio.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at ausdesignradio. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad. Glad we finally got that done. Yes. (laughs) 